Welcome everybody to the Google for Startups live session on innovative leadership. Uh, my name is Marta Kropinska and I have the pleasure of leading Google for Startups in the UK. And today I am joined by a very, very special man. But before, as we wait for many of you to join, we would really like to know is where you're joining from. So something that uh, this new remote world has created for us is an opportunity to really connect with startups community, not, startup communities, not only in London and the UK, but really um, throughout the globe and connecting to communities of all of our colleagues that work at Google and Google for Startups, supporting startups around the world. So we'd really love to hear from you um, where, you're, uh, where you're watching this from today as we wait for a few more to join. And whilst, and whilst we're waiting, I'd like to give you a little bit of a background on the man that you'll be hearing from today, a fantastic friend and supporter of Google for Startups, um, one, a person who has definitely been incredibly helpful to me and the companies that we've been, that we've been supporting. Um, Craig is uh, a director of strategy and operations at uh, Google UK, Ireland, and Southern Europe, I believe, and to essentially what that means, a strategy and operations director, sort of think a mix of COO and CSO roles. Um, Craig is fantastically prepared to, to, to lead that function, um, having spent more than 16 years in Accenture. Um, although you definitely don't look like you would have spent anywhere 16 years, but, um, but I'm sure lots of, lots of fantastic learnings there and now in Google for just shy of three and a half. But outside of that, uh, Craig is also a great supporter of the startup community, an angel investor in five companies. And also, Craig has his own record label, which is very exciting and shows the breadth, um, the breadth that he's got. Um, on a sort of on a fun side note, great fan of fantastic colorful sneakers. Unfortunately, we're on video and I'm not sure, Craig, if you can do splits to oh. lift your foot up and show what you're wearing today. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, I look forward to all of the wisdom that you're gonna share with us today. So thank you, over to you. Well, thank you, Marta. Uh, what a wonderful introduction as, as usual. And, and thank you, uh, everyone, for joining. I see uh, somebody from uh, Raza from Lithuania. I saw somebody joining from Kenya, somebody from Turkey, somebody from Gaza, uh, lots from London there. So we've got a really, and Cairo. Uh, hello, Moody. Okay, so we've got a really inter international crew with us today. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us uh, in this weird and wonderful time for business. I'm going to be talking today about innovative leadership, and I think it's a topic uh, that is uh, more important in the sort of COVID-19 period than in any period, certainly in my, uh, in my lifetime. And I'm sure you're all navigating that in different ways. Uh, I'm going to talk for about 30, uh, 30 or so minutes, uh, so I'll try and, uh, try and stay on time here. Um, before we look forward, though, or even into the present, I want to take you on a time uh, journey with, with me back in time, just over 50 years ago, to this iconic image. Uh, actually, there's two images here, uh, one overlaid on, on top of the other. Um, uh, but it's a great reminder, isn't it, uh, how technology has advanced over the ages. And although this is the uh, image that tends to uh, stick in one's mind, from 1969, the moon landing, 
I think what was even more interesting uh, at the time was what was going on back here on Earth, where the men and women of NASA at the time were flying most of this mission. The astronauts uh, flew only a small part of it. Uh, but these are the, uh, the, the, uh, the people who were responsible for uh, mission control and, and controlling the mission. And there they are with their IBM uh, shirts on. Do you see that on, on their backs? Uh, sitting in front of what passed as a supercomputer uh, of the time, right? Uh, these were the supercomputers. And uh, what's fascinating to me about this is uh, these supercomputers were less powerful than the ones that we carry around with us in our pockets today. I don't know if you, see, you can see that. I'm holding up my smartphone, my Pixel phone, by the way. Very good phone. Um, isn't that interesting how, how technology has advanced in, in, in 50 years? And actually, if you look at the pattern over time, there's a very interesting uh, progression. Uh, just 35 uh, approximately years ago, um, modern computing, you know, became affordable. So you didn't need a whole room like the people of NASA did uh, to have a personal computer. I think the Macintosh came out in 1984. Uh, so that's uh, a reasonably short period. And then the internet, as we know it, just over 20 years. Uh, so Google was born in a garage in California in 1998. Um, the technology, of course, had been around a lot earlier than that. But the usable internet, really only uh, about a 20-year-old uh, story. Uh, the smartphone, of course, launched by Apple uh, in 2007. And we'll come back to that story. And uh, boy, it's now the uh, ubiquitous device that uh, lives in most of our pockets these days. Uh, and then machine learning, you know, uh, aren't we at a moment in time on that, artificial intelligence? Really only, although the computer science has been around for ages, uh, the practical application of it has really only come about in the last five years because compute power and the ability to handle these sort of petabytes of data uh, have, have advanced. And then, of course, last year, uh, a team uh, from Google, I'm proud to say, uh, made a breakthrough in quantum computing uh, and uh, achieved what, what was called at the time a quantum singularity. So uh, there, a, 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 a supercomputer that was quantum powered as opposed to sort of the, uh, the standard uh, model of ones and zeros and small transistors and processors, was able to solve a mathematical problem in 200 uh, seconds that would have taken the most powerful supercomputer in today's world uh, more than 10,000 years. Do you spot the pattern? 50, 30, 20, 10, 5, just last year. So what's happening here is two things. One, increasing compression cycles of innovation. That's thing number one. And thing number two is it's in the hands uh, of all of us, isn't it? Uh, like this gentleman here. Um, so, uh, and, and that's developed uh, a new set of expectations, hasn't it? Um, we expect immediacy, we're curious, we research before we uh, take decisions, and we expect things to happen very quickly. Uh, and some companies in this context of digital evolution and, and revolution uh, have absolutely thrived, and I'm sure that's true of many of you who are attending today, you probably uh, Many of you are tech-based businesses. But for some others, um, it's been super difficult. 
So let's start by looking at some of the examples of who's found it difficult, and then I'll come on to some of the success stories. Here are a few logos that you may recognize. Let's start on the left-hand side here with Nokia. Um, Nokia in 2007, remember that's the year the iPhone launched, had more market share of the global handset market than all of the other handset producers at the time put together. They were absolutely dominant uh, in, in that market. Um, I remember having a 6210 uh, Nokia, the little green screen, and it was just revolutionary. It was wonderful. The battery lasted about 25 weeks and you could text on it. And you know, if you had a really flash phone, you could access the internet in a pretty clunky way. Yet today, Nokia doesn't exist, uh, at least not in its handset manifestation, other than a few IP licenses, uh, right? Um, so, and, and keep in mind, this was a company that started in forestry. Uh, it made rubber boots, and then, as you do after rubber boots, changed itself into a global giant in telecommunications. So uh, this was the best of the best, right? These were the best people in the world and probably at the time, the high watermark uh, in innovation and innovative leadership. Yet today they don't exist. Toys R Us, very similar, you know, along comes the internet. And uh, if all you're offering is aisles and aisles of range and selection and a distribution point with the internet, you don't kind of need that, right? You can get it easier and quicker online. And I certainly lost many years of my life uh, wandering through Toys R Us with my boys buying various selections of plastic tat. Um, but, uh, you know, Toys R Us was another example of a company that was quite innovative but yet succumbed uh, to, uh, to the forces of, of, of change. And then Blockbuster... Blockbuster was the go-to place. If you wanted home entertainment on a Friday night or wherever, uh, whenever you would go down to your local Blockbuster, you'd get a DVD and probably a, an oversized uh, bag of popcorn and you'd take that home. And I'm sure there are lots of equivalents in different uh, countries that you're attending from. Uh, you can see Pasquale there from Rome. So hello, Pasquale. Um, yet, um, yet Blockbuster, of course, uh, succumbed also. Now, here's a fun fact. Blockbuster in, I think it was 2001, had an opportunity to buy Netflix uh, for $50 million, I think it was, and they passed it up. Whoops. Uh, so um, not such a fun fact if you were at Blockbuster and uh, missed that opportunity. Another fun fact, by the way, Netflix uh, was started by a... Uh, uh, a person called Reed who uh, got frustrated because he was fined $40 for returning his DVD to Blockbuster late. And he thought, well, surely there's a better way. And actually, the first uh, instance of, of Netflix was a mail order DVD company. Of course, now it's the global streaming giant that I'm sure is in many of our uh, living rooms on this, uh, on this call here. So why is it that these iconic companies uh, with the best of the best leadership succumbed? They, they didn't see what was happening and, uh, and failed to change. What's going on here? Well, my argument is that these companies and all of us here are battling 
thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human evolution. That probably sounds cryptic and it's intended to. Let's test that in this room. And usually I do this live, so play along with me here. Uh, I think we've got something like 250 of you. So uh, play along with me here. I'm going to show you a slide, the next slide that comes up. That slide is going to have two parallel lines that look like that, and each of them have arrowheads on them. And as soon as you see this slide, be honest with yourself here, as soon as you see it, pick which one is longer, which line is longer. Three, two, one, here it comes. Did you pick? Right. Mostly when I show that slide, people say they're the same. Did you say the same? Come on, the honest ones of you, you can put your, uh, your, your hand up in the, in the live, uh, live comments here if you're brave. I did too. I tricked you. Actually, our minds tricked us. Um, the most, one of the most wonderful um, things about our, our human brain and human evolution is that we've become incredibly efficient decision-making machines. And the way our brains operate is that we look for patterns that we think we recognize in order to make speedy decisions. Uh, and this is a, an evolutionary trait that's innate in all of us that has kind of kept us alive over the years. Um, and the, the sort of uh, desire to find the familiar, the, the pattern, uh, recognize it and, and, to act, uh, and to act quickly. Um, <laughs> I see some of the oh shits, yes, it's the first one, bottom one. Some of you got it right, but. Usually, I think if you, if, you, uh, if you do this in a large audience, almost always it's 60 or 70% say they're the same and your mind tricks you. And that's because of this sort of human evolutionary trait. Uh, so this is what companies are battling. This is what all of us individually are battling when it comes to, uh, when it comes to coping uh, with change. Um, what, a, what, a, what an interesting time to be talking about that now. So human evolution has hardwired us to see change as danger, uh, to look for patterns that are familiar because it's safe. Um, and when the game changes in the most subtle of ways, uh, these companies that I just talked about before failed to pick it. Or if they did pick it, they picked it too late and they changed it too late and they succumbed. The good news is that there's also another uniquely human thing uh, that we can all uh, rely on, and that's called imagination. So let's talk about a few examples, and I've tailored this to uh, COVID-19. These are some of my favorite examples of the active use of imagination and incredibly innovative pivoting uh, that's happening all around us everywhere in the world as we are sort of navigating this very uncertain time. Um, I'll start with the top left and I'll work clockwise. So the top left is a company called Crosstown Donuts. Uh, it's uh, in many countries around the world. They have a sourdough-based uh, sourdough donuts. Very delicious. I do recommend them. And, of course, they have physical distribution. Uh, that doesn't work in a lockdown period. So what they've done is they've teamed up with a local bakery, a local vegetable supplier, and a local dairy supplier, and they're now boxing up their products and delivering those to the door. And we get a, a weekly uh, a goodie bag there, which is absolutely delicious. 
So that's uh, that's called Crosstown Crosstown Collective. For those of you who live in London, check them out. The second example, this gentleman who's sort of looking around there, is a guy called Nick Heath. Nick Heath is a live rugby commentator. And of course, like most live events, uh, you know, sport is not happening at the moment. A rugby commentator do when all of the sporting events are cancelled. Well, Nick is an absolutely hilarious guy. Please do go and search him on YouTube uh, when, you, when you're uh, done with the session today. Um, Nick has taken to uh, commenting on everyday life. So he'd go to the park, obviously, in a socially distant way. I think he filmed a lot of the uh, material before full lockdown, but during COVID. And he started commenting on mundane things like uh, uh, adults pushing prams around the park and, and kids playing with a dog or a ball. And his, his overlay commentary is absolutely hilarious. And on the back of that, he's built this um, really large YouTube following. And he now hosts a pub quiz on, uh, on a Saturday night. So a great example of a, a live uh, rugby commentator pivoting, uh, using his imagination to apply his craft in a different way. Top right, uh, there's a great, anyone from Canada here? Anyone from Canada, please uh, please shout. Uh, probably a bit early in the morning there. Uh, this is a Toronto restaurant called Clooney. And Clooney's a fantastic uh, French bistro. I've not been there, but it's uh, certainly on my list. And like many of the high-end restaurants around the world, Clooney has reinvented itself as an online high-end grocer. So now you can go to Clooney's website and you can order the baked goods or the salads uh, or some of the proteins uh, that, uh, that uh, customers used to get when they went to the restaurant. So a great example of a, uh, of a pivot. Signature brew uh, down the bottom left here. Uh, for those pub fans, uh, obviously pubs are closed, will be for some time, I imagine. Uh, Signature Brew has uh, come up with this concept called Pub in a Box. So you order it online and you get this wonderful array of craft beers uh, delivered to your door. And then uh, that's, uh, that, that comes with a, a, a specially curated Spotify playlist. So you sort of click a, a QR code to visit that. Uh, so you get the tunes as well. And it's actually being delivered by, um, by musicians who are currently not performing uh, live at the moment. So they're your delivery uh, people, socially distant, of course. And there's a pub quiz that goes with it. So a great example of a pivot there. And here I'm going to uh, make the dangerous and courageous move of trying to uh, uh, experiment with the technology here that I haven't used. I'm going to try and play a video segment. But this is my very favourite example of the use of imagination sort of to, to overcome that pattern recognition. Live music. So live music, uh, of course, these days is largely uh, or is, is a really big and important revenue generator. A lot of the big musicians make most of their money uh, from uh, touring uh, and festivals and things like this. Uh, all of the festivals and live concerts, quite rightly, have been cancelled uh, in the current uh, in the current times right now, uh, and that that means that uh, musicians uh, are having to reinvent the way that they express their talent and, and also monetize. Uh, this one that's showing on the screen right now is a guy called Travis Scott. Travis is a rapper. He's based in Austin, Texas, quite big at the moment, and he was due to headline a festival called Coachella. 
Coachella, like all of the festivals, have been closed. And you'd think that would be quite a, uh, a disaster for Travis in terms of his um, plans for, for performance this year, but not a bit of it. What Travis did on the 23rd of April, uh, so very recently, is he uh, created a, actually it was three concerts, one of which was on the 23rd of April, uh, created a concert uh, inside, a live experience inside the Fortnite gaming platform. Fortnite, for those of you who don't know, it's a sort of first-person shooter. It's an online game uh, where you can sort of uh, experience and, and play with others and, and so on, you experience a, a virtual landscape. And gamers within Fortnite noticed that in a bay on Fortnite Island, a stage started getting built. And of course, then the announcement came Travis Scott indeed was going to come and he was going to perform live and, uh, and and you could tune in and watch it live. And during the period of this concert, everyone, uh, you know, the game rules were suspended. Uh, the, uh, the various sort of weaponry and other sort of emotes were replaced. So you had a choice between a flaming microphone as a gamer, you could do this, or you could do an emote, which was the sort of headbang, uh, and, and literally just follow Travis around as he uh, performed music and, uh, and, and went in, into different spaces. It started on the island, it then went underwater and it ended up in space. Uh, who would have thought uh, that this would be possible, first of all? And second, this was the biggest live concert in history. So on the 23rd of April, Travis Scott performed in front of 12.3 million people, concurrent users online watching this. And over the period of the three concerts he did, I think it was over five days, 27 million people tuned in for that. Uh, and since then, uh, the, the number is building really rapidly. The replays of this are approaching 30 million. Uh, and prior to this, the biggest, uh, you know, the record for the biggest live concert uh, was um, 225,000. So from 225,000 watching live to 12.3 million concurrently watching live and i'm going to play a little excerpt i won't play the whole thing but i do encourage you to go go check it out afterwards so you get the uh, you get the view right so uh, an incredible example of innovation so all of these five are examples of uh, companies in the current COVID context who are uh, undertaking breathtaking exercises in imagination, creativity and innovation. And it's not just them, uh, this is a pattern. I started earlier by talking about the moon landing and the technology revolution. If you look at the uh, change of the top five, com uh, sorry, the top 10 companies over, over the period of 10 years, you'll notice that there are very few, in fact, there are two in both the left-hand list and the right-hand list. Uh, okay, uh, so what's happening here is increasing compression cycles and innovation, in other words, change that's happening more rapidly. Uh, and some companies are succumbing to this 
and others are, th are thriving uh, from it. Uh, and the difference between them are those who are trying to find patterns and sort of uh, uh, follow the familiar, if you like. I've seen this before, I know what to do. Think about Nokia. And those who are uh, being really sensitive to the signals and are exercising innovative leadership uh, and pivoting um, what they do. So my message here, um, the sort of core message in, in, in innovative leadership is uh, this thing called imagination. And in a business context, imagination is creativity, creativity that is applied in a valuable way. In business, we call that innovation. But just remember, it's that switch, that sort of countervailing switch that deactivates the kryptonite uh, of pattern familiarity that uh, it entraps uh, so many. So I want to leave you here with, uh, with three uh, takeaways. So how do, you, how do you get this culture of innovative leadership running in your company? Uh, the first uh, lesson here is you've got to create a mindset, uh, a, a mindset of relentless restlessness. Now, I'm showing a picture here of the All Blacks rugby team. Uh, the reason I'm doing that, there's two reasons. First of all, as you may have noticed from my accent, I'm actually a Kiwi, and of course I have to talk about the All Blacks. It's sort of in our passport conditions uh, whenever I talk publicly. So this is the All Blacks. The second more important reason, however, uh, is that the All Blacks um, is not only the most successful uh, rugby team on a sustained period over the last 100 years, I'm talking, not only the most successful rugby team in the world, but the most successful sporting team of any sport in the world. They've got the highest win rate uh, of any sporting team in any uh, discipline. And this uh, is a team from a nation of 4 million people, only half of whom even qualify to play men's rugby. They've got fantastic women's rugby as well, by the way, now. Um, so how can this be? How can this tiny team from a tiny nation buried in the bottom of the southern hemisphere sustain such um, over-indexed performance over, over such a, uh, a long period of time? Well, they have this rule. One of their rules is, wait for it, when you're on top of your game, you change your game. I'll say it again. When you're on top of your game, you change your game. So it's this mindset of restlessness, this relentless restlessness to reinvent yourself. And I think that mindset is more important today in the, uh, in the age of COVID-19 than it has been in any previous time. Second thing to leave you with, second technique, play. Right? This is about creating an environment in which your people feel free, excited, and rewarded by the sense of uh, playfulness, this hijinks uh, that comes about when you release imagination, corporate imagination in this case, and creativity, and encourage innovation. Because innovation is a function of risk-taking, right? We don't know the answer. We certainly don't know the answer today. But if you don't try and if you don't sort of test and iterate, uh, we, won't, we won't find what works. So creating the environment in which this can be a repeating cycle of hijinks uh, and playfulness uh, is, is absolutely critical. Uh, at Google, we, uh, we regard playfulness as a, uh, as a tool. You know, the brain somehow behaves differently 
when it's feeling uh, playful and approaching seriously, seriously things uh, play or serious things playfully and playful things seriously, if you see what I mean, is a is a key part of innovation that uh, certainly I've experienced. And then the third and final lesson is uh, look up and look out, ask the audience, right? Uh, we're all consumers, all of us, and all of us are business people as well, at least on this uh, call. And never before has it been easier to go and ask the audience to experiment with these courageous ideas you and your uh, employees have and get feedback in real time on what's working and what's not. Um, and I, I would say almost all of the conversations that I'm having at the moment with our partners and our customers have this character to them. It's about reading the signals in real time on what consumers are looking for, whether they're business-to-business -business customers or business-to-consumer consumers, uh, and responding in a really agile way. So asking the audience uh, is, the, is the third question. So a summary for, for those of you who need the, the reminder, what's innovative leadership? Three tips uh, to leave you with today. Change your game when you're on top of your game. Second, play. Create this environment where it's psychologically safe to have a go. Uh, try, iterate, scale or, uh, or change. Uh, and then third, ask the audience. Ask the audience, get feedback on your ideas, on the sort of imagineering uh, that's going on in real time. So I think I'm uh, I'm on about 26 minutes. We're right on uh, 15:30 at least here in London. Uh, so I'm going to stop there and uh, hand back to my uh, my trusty colleagues to direct us uh, from here. All right. Fantastic. Craig, this was awesome. Thank you so much for for the learnings. I hope you've all enjoyed it. Um, thank you for being part of the Google for Startups community. Craig, thank you for supporting us. Um, hope all of you are finding innovative ways to deal with the new situation in which we are in. This has definitely been food for thought. So have a fantastic afternoon or morning or evening, wherever you are. And yes, please uh, take some time, literally two minutes to leave some leave us some feedback. If you haven't checked into the event, please do. It really helps us to know how many people we can support with uh, with sessions and events like this. And yeah, thank you for tuning in.